Good job, gentlemen. Thank you. Good morning once again. If you have your Bible, will you take it and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through uh, 35, the passage that was read for us this morning. Pastor Rick left me with a difficult task this week. He uh, spoke last week and let you out 15 minutes early. I said to him afterwards, I said, did you think it was communion Sunday or what were you doing? And he said, no, I was just done. So he set the bar pretty high. Not sure I'm going to reach it. Especially those of you that were waiting in the lobby last hour. Yeah, you know how this is going to go. So anyway... As we look at this passage this morning, I want to remind you of the context in which Matthew is writing. This summer, we've been looking at the stories that Jesus told, the stories, uh, the parables that Jesus used to, to share truth about the kingdom to his disciples and his followers. Within Matthew's context, if you'll remember, the parables that, that sit in the middle of the gospel are parables about the kingdom that teach us what life is like currently in the kingdom. What we can expect to happen uh, right now, what we can be experiencing now, what the status of life is now in the kingdom. Earlier in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount uh, sections, chapters 5 and 6, Jesus sets a tone of what standards of conduct should be like in the kingdom. Later in Matthew, uh, Jesus uses parables to teach us about what the, what the uh, uh, coming of the kingdom will look like at, in those days. But the middle section kind of sits there telling the disciples and the followers uh, uh, with that foundation and until this happens, this is what you can expect the kingdom to be like. This is what Christendom is like. This is what, what the, the uh, environment is like for all of those who call themselves followers of Christ. It's not about one church. It's not about one denomination. It's not about even one group of disciples. These, these parables teach us about what the kingdom is like overall around the world for those who call themselves Christ followers. And so it's in that context that we pick up again the teachings of Christ and Matthew's writing in chapter 18. Now, if we were to pull back the lens a bit at, uh, in looking at chapter 18 and get a broader view of what is happening uh, in context, we would notice a few things. We would notice that, first of all, at the beginning of verse 18, the disciples are arguing among each other about who is the greatest in the kingdom. Who will have the opportunity to sit at Jesus' right? Who will sit on Jesus' left in the kingdom? Who is the greatest? Who is the best disciple? Now, we don't do that, do we? None of us sit around and look around the kingdom, our church or our community of faith and those that we uh, worship with. None of us sit around and say, my ministry is better than theirs. My ministry gets more money than they do. My ministry gets all the announcements on a Sunday morning. If Pastor Rick announces my ministry, people show up. When that Stefano guy... Forget it. We do that, don't we? I mean, if we were brutally honest, there are moments, there are times when we in the kingdom, whether it's this church or the church in general, you know, we're better than the Baptists, right? We're better than the Methodists. We're better than, 
We do that, don't we? We kind of look around the kingdom and size each other up and try to think who's better than the other one. That's what the disciples were doing. They were trying to gain a foothold with Jesus. They were trying to get uh, position and prominence. It's, it's in that context, too, that we see, again, pulling back the, the lens a bit, that Jesus is responding them, responding to them in this vein of childlike faith. He, he brings a child up uh, as, as he's speaking to the crowd. He brings a child up and, and you can get the picture of him holding a child and saying, you want to know what the kingdom is like? The kingdom is like this child. You have to have faith like a child to be in the kingdom. It's not about who's better or who's worse or um, I get all the attention or you get no the, none of the attention. It's, it's You need to come to the kingdom and understand the kingdom in childlike faith. Then as Jesus speaks about confronting someone who has offended you, he goes on to do a couple of different topics. As he's, I, I, I get the picture of him holding this child while he's teaching his disciples and, and, and all the while giving them this nonverbal cue that the kingdom is, is to be grasped with childlike faith. He teaches them about how to confront each other when, when something goes awry in the kingdom, when there's this conflict, when there's been an offense between you and somebody else. He, he teaches them in early, uh, or, or in uh, the middle of chapter 18, beginning in verse 15, how to resolve conflict. How to go to somebody else and, 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 uh, share with them that they've wronged you, confronting them on some issues. And Jesus, again, teaches about that, And it's in all of that, with all that backdrop and all of that setting, that Peter kind of asks this next question, but changes the perspective. From the perspective of, of confronting someone who has offended you, Peter changes the perspective and says, well, how about forgiving that person? How many times should we forgive when somebody has offended us? And Peter says, should we, should we forgive them? Seven times? As though seven, that, that comment from Peter is, he's making some grand statement as though he's going over the top, as though Peter is setting the bar pretty high. Jesus, when, when somebody, when we give forgiveness, when we forgive somebody, how many times should we forgive someone? Should we do it seven times? Peter says. And I can't help but think that perhaps he's asking that question still in the vein of trying to gain position and posturing himself in front of Christ and before the other disciples, as though that is some grand number. Forgiveness. Forgiveness can be one of those tricky, sticky little things that we experience in life, can it? It can often be difficult. Forgiveness is, is one of those, those things that, that we often wrestle with. I mean, we all, we all want forgiveness. We all ask for forgiveness. We all want to be in a right kind of relationship with God. And, and for many of us, I, I don't think we necessarily want there to be conflict or confrontation or uh, some kind of distance between other people, friends and relatives that we associate with. And so we will, we will uh, ask for forgiveness if we've offended someone or, or uh, done something wrong. We we don't we don't want to live being unforgiven, and so we will often seek that out. However, the reality is that sometimes 
Granting forgiveness is something that is difficult for us to do. It's one of those graces that that we have trouble extending to others at times. We want it extended to us, but at times it's hard for us to extend it to others. And at the very beginning this morning, I, I want us to recognize that that as we teach on this, we realize that some of you, some of us who sit here today, have been wounded very deeply. We've experienced some very difficult moments. We've been hurt badly in our past. And there are deep wounds that we walk with. And this idea of forgiveness, if the truth be told, we're still struggling with that in some of our own lives and in our homes and in our relationships and even in the workplace perhaps. We struggle with this issue of forgiveness because what was done to us was so hurtful. We want to recognize that this morning and not minimize that in any way, but we want to get to the truth of what what Christ is teaching. Forgiveness is a difficult thing to grant if we've been wounded. Last week, um, we were visiting my wife's parents in Indiana County, and I was watching the news feed out of Pittsburgh, and um, there is a story of a, of a woman who was in court at the sentencing of a, a man who was driving a car that had killed her husband. And in the, in the foyer, in the hallway of the courtroom, she was being interviewed and, and her comment was, I can't forgive him. I can't forgive him for what he did. And I think if, again, truth be told, many of us find ourselves in that spot. Something has been done to us and we wrestle with this idea, we wrestle with this notion of forgiving the other person for what has happened. Sometimes it's hard to come to that place of forgiveness. Jesus answers Peter in an extraordinary way. Peter says, how many times should I forgive my brother seven times? And Jesus says, how about this? Life in the kingdom is like this. You should, you should forgive each other, not seven times, but um, the, the passage we read this morning was 77 times. In other manuscripts, it's 70 times seven. If you want to calculate forgiveness, Peter, you think you set the bar high at saying forgive somebody seven times. Let me tell you what life in the kingdom is really like. Life in the kingdom is, is, is more than that. It's 70 times seven. Forgiveness should be given. Forgiveness should be granted 70 times seven. I know some of you are sitting here, if you've scored well on your math assessment and your SATs, trying to figure out 70 times 7, is, and I'm not going to tell you what that is. But Jesus is making an exaggerated statement. The number, 70 times 7, the calculation of that for forgiveness is not the point that Jesus is making. Jesus makes, uses an exaggerated answer to point out that forgiveness Forgiveness is not about the number of times a person offers forgiveness. It's not about a number. It's about an attitude. Forgiveness is something that that comes from the heart. Forgiveness is to be the norm for those who are Christ followers. It should come from within us and well up within us and be granted to those who have offended us 
It's an attitude. R.T. France writes that if we find ourselves still counting, we're not forgiving. If we find ourselves still counting, we're not forgiving. And as we've seen this summer, Jesus illustrates this point with a parable. It was after this moment that Jesus launches into the parable and he says, Therefore, since the kingdom is not about a numerical equation, it's not about 70 times 7, it's not about 7 times forgiving, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to set, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back, catch this, I will pay back everything. Everything that I owe, if you will be patient with me, I will forgive. And the servant's master took pity on him canceled his debt and let him go. Now, I'm not sure we can read too much into why the king wanted to settle accounts. It'd be presumptuous for us to try to figure out the point of Jesus uh, in this parable saying that the king wanted to settle accounts. We don't necessarily need to go there, but the points that we need to pick up on are what was actually happening within this story. It's interesting how Jesus again uses hyperbole in describing the situation of this first servant. Jesus used an exaggerated number with Peter, 70 times 7, when he was uh, setting up this story about forgiveness. And now in the parable, he indicates that this first servant owed the king, owed the master, 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Here's how that kind of breaks down. 10,000 talents in that day was equal to 60 million denarii. Now, one denarii was equal to one day's wage. So 10,000 talents being equal to 60 million denarii equaled 60 million days worth of wages. That's the debt. This first servant owed the king 60 million days worth of wages. I've done the math for you some more. 60 million days divided by 365 days is 164,383 years of working. Not including leap year. I didn't do the leap year math. I didn't count leap year. If you were born on February 29th, I don't want emails. You're important. God loves you, okay? 164,383 years. Now, if an average lifespan is 80, again, no emails from our over 80 club. We love you, okay? If the average lifespan is 80, it would take you 2,054 lifetimes. To pay the debt. That's the debt that was owed. This man falls to his feet, begs the king, 
for patience because he will repay everything. Look at this in another way. The word 10,000 here is translated myria, from which we get our word myriad. In that day, it was the largest numeral for which a Greek term exists. Talent is the largest known amount of money in that culture. And so when you combine the effect of the largest numeral plus the largest amount of money that was, uh, that was indebted to this king, when you put the two together, the, the effect is a number beyond human calculation. You have the greatest number, you have the greatest word for debt, for, for what the debt was, you put them together, the point that Jesus is making is, it's, it's innumerable. It would be like those of us in our culture today using the word zillion. It's not a real number. It doesn't really exist. When we get so far out there and our mind can't wrap, wrap around how much or how much of a quantity something is, we throw out the number zillion. Uh, we owe the government a zillion dollars. It's just unbelievable how much debt is owed. We can't wrap our mind around it. And that is precisely the point that Jesus is making. This servant, this man, owed the king zillions of dollars. And the point that Jesus is making is this man owed a debt that was impossible to satisfy. And so the king ordered his family to be sold. But the servant begged, fell at his feet for patience and mercy. And as the king looked down on this servant, begging because of this great debt that he owed, begging for patience, begging for mercy, the king, filled with compassion, forgave his debt. He forgave his debt and he let him go. Two steps that the king makes, two things that the king grants, forgiveness and freedom. I'm letting you go. Overjoyed, the man went out and lived happily ever after, didn't he? Again, teaching in parable, Jesus says this, the man went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He began, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Sound familiar? But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. It's interesting to realize that when he found out that when he found out that his his debt had been forgiven, he went out and he found a fellow servant. It was somebody that was just like him. It wasn't a foreigner. It wasn't somebody who was outside of the community. It was somebody who was just like him. He was a fellow servant. And it's clear, again, given the context of the passage and what is happening uh, in Matthew 18, Jesus is speaking of fellow believers in the kingdom, 
This is one of those Christians who went out and found another Christian who owed him money, grabbed him by the neck and choked him and demanded payment. This is life in the kingdom, Jesus said. In the kingdom, in churches, in fellowship circles and in faith communities around the world, Christians are leaning across the pew and reaching across the aisle and grabbing fellow Christians by the throat and the neck and choking them and demanding from them what is owed them. This is the scene in some of our churches. This is the scene in the kingdom. Notice the second debt that is described. It's a hundred denarii. It's a hundred days worth of wages. Now, minimum wage was just raised this week, correct? 725. 725 given an eight hour work week multiplied by a hundred work days. And you're looking at a debt of about $5,800 in today's money. Not a zillion. Not a gazillion, as though that's even more. $5,800. Now that's just, that, that's, that's, that's still a, a, a big amount of money. I mean, that's not walking around change. You know, we're not going to pull out, got change for, for 6000 Yeah, here we go. It, I mean, it's fairly significant, but I mean, to you and me, it's like a new roof or windows for our house or a semester or a year at Edinburgh University. I mean, that's, that's the reality of the debt, is that. It's still significant to a degree, but it's manageable. It could be worked out. I mean, we could make an arrangement here. You don't have to throw me into prison. We could work something out. $300 a month, that, I'm not even going to, I don't know the math. But it's manageable. What's interesting is, as he was choking this fellow servant over $5,800 after his entire debt of zillions of dollars was just eliminated, as he's choking his fellow servant, reaching across the pew and grabbing the nearest person who owed him, the other servants who were in the same community, sitting in the seats right around him, saw what was going on. And they went back to the king and they reported what was happening. And the king summoned the first servant and confronted him and said, You wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Everything this first servant did in confronting his fellow servant in the kingdom, everything that he did was completely wicked in the eyes of the king. This is not how life should be in the kingdom. This is not what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is not how the church should operate. When we call ourselves followers of Christ, this isn't how we should exist. 
We shouldn't live a life in the kingdom, followers of Christ, individuals who have said, yes, I will follow Jesus. This isn't how we should live and act towards each other in our homes, in our marriages, in our churches, in our, in our denominations, in our regions, in our cities, in our countries, around the world as Christ followers. This isn't how we should live. We shouldn't be grabbing the nearest person who owes us and choking the life out of them. The kingdom is about forgiveness. The kingdom is about letting go of debt. The kingdom is about forgiving each other. This first servant, his debt was insurmountable, but it was expunged. His plea for patience and mercy was met with great compassion. His debt was completely forgiven and he was set free to live. Where is that same attitude when he confronted his fellow servants? The king canceled the debt. Forgiveness is something that is granted. Forgiveness is something that is given away to another person. I give forgiveness to you. When you've hurt me, when you've wounded me, when you've offended me, I give forgiveness to you. I give it away. I cancel your debt. I let you go. The power of forgiveness rests with the one who's been offended. And this parable is not about the offender. It's about the one who's been offended. How will you act? How will you respond when somebody seeks forgiveness from you? You see, forgiveness comes from the heart. What Jesus is trying to drive home. It's not about calculations. Forgiveness comes from the heart. It comes from within. It wells up from the innermost depths of a person and comes out and offers forgiveness to the other person. That's what this word compassion actually uh, means and looks like in this language. Compassion is forgiveness that comes from within, that wells up within as the person sits before you, as the person bows at your feet and begs for forgiveness. Please forgive me. Compassion comes over the person, wells up from within, and grants forgiveness. True forgiveness is not a passing word or a fleeting thought. It comes from the the depths of one's spirit. And forgiveness, forgiveness is not telling somebody it's okay either. Have you heard that in our culture? People will will go to other people and ask for forgiveness or somebody will come up and say, hey, I I messed up. I'm sorry that that this happened. And how often in in our language do we say, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's not okay. When we have been wronged, it's not okay. When we have been hurt in the depths of our heart, it's not okay. When we say it's okay... We give back an excuse to the one who offended us. Well, if it's okay, then I can just keep living and doing as I please. But it's not okay. It's not okay that you wronged me, that you offended me, that you hurt me, that you broke my heart, that you broke our home, that you broke our spirit. It's not okay. It's entirely wrong. What was done to me, what was done to us is wrong. It's not okay. 
but you're forgiven. It's not okay. But I forgive you. I release you of your debt. I let you go. You're forgiven. You're forgiven is the appropriate response in the kingdom. Those who call ourselves Christ followers are to be forgiving people. Even though you've been wronged, from within wells up mercy and brings forth forgiveness. But it's hard. It's difficult. How many of us play the you don't know what he did card? How many of us play the he doesn't deserve it card? We do, don't we? We make those comments. You don't, you don't know what happened to me. You don't know about my life. You don't know what I've experienced. You don't, you don't know what I lived. That's true. Fair enough. And again, we're not minimizing the hurt and the depth of the wound that you've experienced. But Jesus says this, that to live in the kingdom is to grant forgiveness. It's to give forgiveness just as you've been forgiven. We sang about it a few moments ago. The amazing grace that our chains are gone. That God has granted us forgiveness. We stood here and we sang the song. Some of you raised your hands in worship, praising God for this truth. And in the kingdom, our friends and our brothers and sisters in the kingdom look at us with that same heart and say, please forgive me. Would you let my chains go for the wrong I've caused you? Notice what Christ said through the words of the king in this parable. Verse 32. I canceled all that debt. Shocked that this first servant wouldn't forgive another person after he's been forgiven. The king looks at him and says, I've forgiven you all of that debt. Everything you owed. The word in the original language is the word pos. It's a little word. It's a small word. It means everything. All. In its entirety. Anything that was, that was in debt. All of it. The whole thing. Everything is gone. Wiped off the books. Everything has been canceled. Everything has been erased. Shift. Home. Delete. It's gone. It's forgiven. You've been set free. And he says in verse 33, shouldn't you? Shouldn't you? Shouldn't you have this same attitude? Shouldn't you also do the same? The word actually carries the idea of it is necessary. It is necessary for you to live in the kingdom with this kind of attitude. If we call ourselves Christ followers, if we call ourselves Christian, it is necessary, shouldn't you? also live with this kind of attitude? Shouldn't you have compassion? Shouldn't you have mercy on those who ask for it? It's an attitude and a grace that should be continuous in our life. 
And when it's lacking, when it's lacking, Jesus tells us that that God chooses to discipline us. He says in verse 34 this, He said, In anger, his master turned him, the first servant, over to the jailer to be tortured until he should pay back all all the debt that he owed. Verse 35, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you, each of us, unless we forgive our brother from our heart. We're reminded in Hebrews chapter 5, that God disciplines His children. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when He rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those He loves and He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. Part of God's design and part of God's mercy and wisdom is to act as a father and to act as a king. And in both situations, he exercises discipline when it's needed. And when there are moments in our lives when we fail to offer forgiveness, when we do not forgive other people, when we do not let go of the person that we've reached across the pew and are choking the life out of because of what they've done to us. Until we can release our grip, God in His wisdom and in His way will discipline us and call us back to that attitude of forgiveness. A loving Father and a righteous King asking us to be people of forgiveness. R.T. France writes that because there is no limit to God's generosity to His undeserving people, we in turn cannot claim the right to withhold forgiveness from fellow disciples. In essence, because we've been forgiven already, we have the ability and the enablement to forgive. Now again, I don't want to diminish anyone's situation There are a lot of hurt and wounded people. Christ is calling us to be people who forgive. Christ is asking us, if we want to be part of the kingdom, we need to learn to forgive each other. Forgiveness needs to be a marker of our lives. Notice the contrast between verse 28 and verse 32. Verse 28, he's, the, the, the servant is saying, pay back everything that you owe me. And the contrast in verse 32, the king saying, I've forgiven you everything that you've done. Imagine what would happen and what does happen in the kingdom when we live with a pay me back attitude. People already live with bitterness and anger that eats at them, holding on and choking the life out of the person that's offended them, only to realize that they're choking the life out of themselves. Imagine the victory the enemy of God gains when churches are divided by anger, 
when fellow servants of the king are separated in fighting, when believers are divided by bitterness. Now imagine the difference in a church, a difference in the lives of people and the global community of faith when we treat each other with the grace and mercy that was shown to us when all of our debt was forgiven. France writes, a community of the forgiven must be a forgiving community. As always, parables provoke a response. I don't think we can help but put ourselves in the middle of this story as we read it and ask which role do we play? And I would guess that from day to day or person to person, we play a different role. We may find ourselves as that first servant, totally amazed at God's grace for forgiving us. But then in a moment, in an instant, as we leave these doors, choking the life out of fellow people, fellow believers, and friends because of what they owe us. I can imagine that there are days when we are like the second servant, with just a little debt and unbelievable uh, affront is placed upon us by somebody who wants forgiveness, who, who wants the debt paid. And we're just trying to make it from day to day. And we get attacked. Parables provoke a response and I invite you to respond with where you are in this story. Christ is clear that forgiveness is not some kind of cold and calculated response to those who've offended us. Forgiveness is an attitude of the heart that reflects how God has forgiven us. It comes from the inside out. This is how much we are to forgive with our whole heart. Cancel the debt and let them go and free yourself something only we can do. Let's pray. Father, in these moments, we ask that you would seal this difficult truth to our hearts. And for many of us who who wrestle with the hurt and the pain of deep wounds, we ask that you would give us understanding of how to offer forgiveness to each other. Help us in this day and age to reflect the image of Christ and to grant forgiveness to those who've hurt us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.